What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Don't Give Up the Ship Podcast. This is gonna be it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be eighty seven and a half episode eighty seven and a half because I'm rescheduling uh, eighty eight for release to next week just because uh, the timeliness of when I recorded this uh, Discord Q and A. It just I want to put it out as soon as I can so that the people that weren't able to be on the server for the the q a can hear the episode as soon as possible so i'm gonna push 88 to next week but i already recorded it as 88 so i'm just gonna call this 87 and a half because it makes life easy uh so this is a second discord q a uh we set it up it was it was probably about a month ago maybe a little longer uh they set up a channel for me people deposited questions in there uh and then we went to a voice server thing i'm probably butchering this terminology but went to the voice channel um and got to record it live where the mods uh asked the questions and i answered them on the spot and a couple questions came in as we were going so it's super fun this is as close as i've been able to get to bringing junior sailors on the podcast Uh, a lot of the people in the discord server are junior sailors there's some senior ones as well but um, it's you get a lot of questions from junior sailors directly, which I really enjoy, uh, and that's kind of like a, a good amount of the content. Some of, some of the other stuff was just things people were curious about. Uh, it was it was fun. I really enjoy doing this, especially because of the access to to junior sailors and getting their perspective and getting to provide them with some guidance and and mentorship and stuff like that. So uh, always enjoy these. Um, if you want to support us stick around at the end for the I, I pl- i'll plug d gets apparel and such uh but i don't want to do that in detail but if you want to support us you can get all that information at the end uh and in the show notes and i hope you enjoy the episode check it out all right i am ready whenever you are uh okay well since great grace is still sh- troubleshooting his uh microphone issues i'll go ahead and ask ask one of the questions that he asked um so uh, Grace asked, uh, if you had a blank check to implement as much professional leadership training as you wanted in the fleet, what would that, what would it look like? And, uh, at what points in a career, um, excuse me, at what points in a career would milestone training occur? What format would it take, et cetera? Yeah. I've weirdly been thinking about this a lot in the last couple of days. I just did a project management thing that'll play into my answer a little bit, but, um, I get asked this a lot, like, how would I fix it? And I talk about it a lot in pieces, but it's like, it, it, if we're talking blank check, like I'm God for a day and I can just do whatever I want. Um, the step one is like brick and mortar, like going back to brick and mortar leadership development type uh, classes. So to just be establishing like leadership academies and major fleet concentration areas and the milestones would be likely be E4 slash E5. But if I could get away with it, probably E4, E5, E6, E7, and then on to the Senior Enlisted Academy, uh, which I think they should add another location on the West Coast so they can get more throughput. But um, on top of that, like that, and those would be mandatory, like uh, as you promote, you have to go to the Leadership Academy. And it, it, it being in a major fleet concentration area should relieve a lot of the, the uh, stress of like getting people there because i know with with manning and operational schedules and everything everybody freaks out and they're like i can't get them there it's like yeah you can you it doesn't have to be immediate and a lot of it can happen during pcs's uh they just don't want to put the money into actually funding this kind of stuff and then like continuing education stuff as well like as you're going i think it it's something that should be facilitated by the command kind of like you see like the cno and mcpons reading list and that and it's like 
and maybe you don't see it. I don't know. I'm familiar with it. Um, but it's just this list they throw out there that's kind of like, hey, read these books. And some of them, it's like, I don't know. It kind of looks like somebody put it together for them. Like, is this really what you guys are reading? You know, it almost feels curated by a PAO or legal or something. Um, so it's just real reading lists like that. And then just endorsing certain things like uh, my AVHR put out a thing where they were talking about um, doing some kind of a project with Jocko Willink that does like the Jocko podcast and all those awesome books. And uh, it, it's like you don't even have to like reinvent the wheel for some of the stuff. Just endorse a guy like that. Hey, go listen to the Jocko podcast. It's amazing. Um, so stuff like that as you go through. And then I think and I don't know how much it would help. And if I'm if I'm probably like going a little too far right with this, but um, some kind of a formal qualification process and that may just be making sure that they have these classes and they successfully complete them or it may be something as formal as like a, a pqs or a qual card or whatever for people going in like lpo lcpo jobs where you're making sure that they have not only like the the requisite experience that prepares them for the role but um i think a mandatory lpo lcpo course which some some rates kind of have um, and it's very specific to the technical side, but there's a there's like a project management piece that I think gets missed out on a lot and that even I don't talk about that much. Like um, for people familiar with the podcast, Paul Kingsbury is a retired fleet master chief that I've talked to a bunch of times and he has his own podcast and he talks about management a lot. And I think that's why is is when you get into like your first LPO or LCPO role like leadership plays a huge role in like how your juniors feel about you and feel about the team, like dynamic and the the service and coming into work every day, whether or not they're miserable or whatever. But there's a giant part of their quality of life that just gets impacted by your ability to manage people and things like in tasks. Right. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times, a lot of stress that's introduced into their life on a daily basis, it's not because they're a bad leader. It's because they're a bad manager and they don't, they don't know how to manage time. They don't know how to manage tasks. They'll forget that evals are due and then tell you, you owe them eval bullets by the end of the day. And it's like, well, it's not my fault. You're an idiot and you can't manage time. So how is this negatively affecting my ability to go on Liberty because you didn't manage things properly. And so I think project management, and, and then it gets even worse when you get into like affecting the mission with like, you know, improperly managing maintenance items or whatever. Um, so I think a, like an LPO, LCPO course focus on project management would be a huge deal uh, to improve a lot of that. Because I think people people generally will lump that those failures in with just leadership failures. And it's like, like, you're not wrong. I think management falls under leadership, but it's just not something that's talked about enough. And so I think it, that should be something that would be incorporated into it as well. But, but I mean, the you know, the overarching answer is like brick and mortar leadership academy should be a real thing. And I don't think it's as it's as hard as like senior leadership would make you think if you ask this question, like an all hands call with like a fleet or the McPon or something. And I think mm -hmm. privately they would agree with me, but they just understand that try getting the funding for that kind of thing and then like convincing everybody that it's a good idea to to divert people while they're PCSing or whatever to go to these things it's like it's going to be a really hard sell because we already are where we are like when i i'm old enough and there may be a few others in here that still remember um nav lead it was like a brick and mortar classroom where they had various levels of uh it was like more management type stuff though they did talk about leadership stuff and they did like 
I think the lowest level was work center supervisor, um, which they treated more like a role, less like a like on submarines guys joke. And they're just like, yeah, that's just like I I manage sked and do stuff in that. It's not as big of a thing. But I think on on surface ships and at bigger commands, it is kind of more like a management role, like a lower like first level leader kind of thing. Um, so I remember going to that class as a second class and like, I got something out of it. Like it wasn't, it didn't blow my mind, but like it helped. It gave me a few tools and, uh, and then they had like an LPO course and a few others, um, that you, they had courses local, uh, in Groton, Connecticut because it was a training command. And that's a lot of these places already had the infrastructure in place to support training like entities like Groton, Connecticut. There's a training support center in Norfolk. There's a training support center in San Diego. Uh, so there's a lot of places that already have schoolhouses where this would be super easy to kind of uh, just integrate it into the existing infrastructure that's there. And then one of the other things that, and it may just be for, I, I don't think it'd be just for chiefs. Uh, leveraging retirees, uh, I think would be a huge thing too, because they would, they would look at it as a new manning demand. And it's like, this is something that I don't think you would need to hire or like, I don't, I don't think you would need to detail people there, even though you could, I don't think it'd necessarily be a bad thing, but hiring people like hiring a retired command mass chief that did a really great job and then went and did a bunch of civilian stuff that gave him a lot of perspective or her a lot of perspective on like the things they did right. And then the things they did wrong and could have done better when they were in that role, having served in some other kind of role in the civilian sector, like, a uh, buddy of mine has a grandfather that was like a SEAL CMC. And then he went and did another like 20 or 30 year career in management uh, of something. I can't remember. Uh, and he like the type of stuff that that person could share with the group and, and teach you is just like so valuable. And I have a lot of examples of people uh, that I know personally that are retired now, like CMCs or just chiefs, just incredible people that, uh, would would offer a lot in in those types of roles and it wouldn't put like a huge burden on the Navy to detail people that and then they got to do like collateral duties and all this other crap. It's like, nah, just hire a bunch of con- like contractors that I know because and I, I know it's super long winded. And, and no, you know, no, no, please up, continue. <laughs> if, if you listen to the podcast, like, yeah, duh, that's kind of how I roll. But the uh, the I, I know a lot of these people that when they because they're removed from it now, they're retired, like my, one of my mentors, the guy that pinned my mass chief anchors on. He's one of my cobs. He's been retired. I think he's going on like eight years now, and he doesn't get to be exposed to sailors like he used to. And he misses it a lot because he loves them. Like this, this guy is an incredible leader that you know I love to death. And uh, he when you get to put them in contact with those types of people, like he would do, if I, if I was able to create this with like, you know, flick of my like Harry Potter one, mm-hmm. it's like he would come in and on evenings just to participate in this. You know what I mean? He'd probably volunteer. And like, I had him come down and do like back when it was CPO 365, I had him do some training with all my first classes. And it turned into this thing where, because I was on a, a BN for those not familiar two crew submarine. And so we were in the admin building at the time where the other crew was out on the boat. And the first training I had like probably a dozen first classes from my boat. And then within like three of them, it turned into like I had like 60 first classes in this classroom from all over the waterfront because this guy was so good. And it's just like and he was super grateful for being able to, you know, basically like come into the room and feel like Cobb again, you know, like and get to 
like download all his experience and answer questions and feel useful to sailors again. It's like you, you, I think you'd get a strong response to putting that kind of thing out there where it's just like a contractor thing that they can do part time. They don't even have to like switch jobs, just something they, that I think a lot of retired uh, leadership would want to do just for the opportunity to interact with sailors again on that level and share their experiences. And then, you know, they could make a little money, spend a couple hours like in evenings or even afternoons. Like, I was asked like about how you would model it on the waterfront. I'm like, you could just like, it, it would be as simple as cutting somebody loose at 1300 instead of 1600. You know what I mean? And it's just like you, instead of going home, they go to the school and maybe they start on blackboard and then they, they end up in a classroom or maybe, you know, like there's a lot of different ways the Navy could accomplish this, but right. you know, if I had a blank check it'd definitely be in a classroom, fleet concentration areas, probably hire contractors like that, at least for the most part. And then just at every level I could get away with make mandatory leadership development stuff. But then when you get to those LPO, LCPO roles, for sure, project management becomes a huge deal. Yeah. So. Yeah. I would have appreciated that, you know, when I came up, you know, not compared to like what the Marine Corps ha has, you know, with their, <clears throat> with their schools, yeah. their leadership courses. Anyways. Um, all right. Thank you. Uh, yeah. All right. I'm going to go and move on to the next uh, question uh, from one of our other moderators, um, Sea Salt. Uh, they ask, what would be your thoughts or a solution on administrative bloat and slowdowns in Ooh. places like NOSC's? where a staff of usually perhaps 50 or less need to support in excess of uh, 3,000 people. And uh, they, they mentioned, for example, why is it, why is it considered mm -hmm. acceptable to keep a sailor on medical review limbo for nearly a third of their career when this sailor is unable to do the one thing they're supposed to be able to do, which is deploy or train? Right. And I'm going to read the administrative bloat as like, and, and correct me if you think I'm wrong in how I'm perceiving this, uh, as not enough not like not enough staff to support the 3000 sailors and that's why you end up with a sailor that's in that limbo for such a long period of time because when i hear administrative bloat to me that means like there's too much mm -hmm. at the top and they could get a lot more efficient and lean out where in in this scenario it sounds more like they need more support in order to like expeditiously solve sailor issues um i'm not super familiar with how nosks work i've interacted with them just a little bit um but I mean, just as far as any organization goes, like, so one, it's not acceptable for a sailor to be in limbo like that at all. Um, it, unfortunately, you, you end up in this scenario for a couple of reasons. Um, one of them is, is what I just said. Like, there's probably a manning issue there as far as like the right people in the right place for the job and, and then having enough of those people to actually get it done. I suspect I'm not a reservist, so I don't know, but I suspect people being reservists. And then I know there's like some FTS sailors that generally work at, at NOSCs as well, that a lot of them are. If you're not full time in this thing, you, you've got to believe that there's not you're not going to get 100 percent buy in from these people. And by virtue of them only drilling, they're only going to be doing Navy things when they're drilling generally. And so it's you're going to have these huge gaps in between when you uh, are there drilling and actually dealing with the issue and when you're not. So there's just these huge lag times because if I'm only drilling, whatever it is, like four days a month or something, um, it, I'm going to work on it for those four days, it, ideally, and then I'm off for a, how, a month and then I'm back again for four days. So 
Um, I think a, a big part of it should probably it, if, if I was going to look at like making the reserves and NOSCs more efficient be, by virtue of that, them, them not being there. Um, you could have a lot of people working remotely that were FTS sailors or just contracted employees that could work through a lot of those issues for all of those sailors without even being in the same area as them, I would think, um, for a lot of the administrative stuff and make it a lot more efficient, I would think. Um, is the Navy famous for efficiency? Yeah, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> I don't know. It's kind of one of those things like I, I feel like I'd have to know more about how NOSCs operate, but and I'm doing a lot of speculation here about how they operate. But uh, just with any organization in general, like so it's not OK. And, and there's a lot of examples in, in my experience in, on active duty where stuff like this happens. Like you, you'll see like go scan the meme sites for five seconds and you're going to see like somebody's leave chit or special request shit has been sitting in somebody's box for a month. Like that's not acceptable ever like it's just not and there's you know there's generally like local requirements on how long that you you know like everybody's always looking for the elusive unicorn instruction that says how long somebody can sit on a leave shit and i've actually been looking for it as well so somebody knows because uh, i've been asked that question and it's like i get told oh yeah the ship probably has a local instruction but i'm like well based on what like there should be a op nav or bupers instruction or whatever that has some of that stuff in it but I've, I've asked my yeoman like where to go and my other admin people like, hey, where can I find this? And and I haven't been able to find it like in the Milpers manual or anything. But um, even if it existed, then it's then you're in this fun situation um, where as the lower ranking person with no power, you've got this instruction in your hand that you're waving around saying, well, you have to route my leave shit. And it's like, no, they don't. You know what I mean? And then what do you do? Like you just like if a chief or an LPO looks at you, it's like, like, shut up. No, I don't then what do you do? It's like, if you, if you have the courage to then skip over them and go to the next level of the chain of command, good for you. However, what does that do for you? Well, most people don't do it because it creates a hostile work environment. It could lead to like other administrative, like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Like retribution, but they use a different word. Like, um, you guys know what I mean? Uh, yeah, there's a, another word that's commonly used in reference to that. It'll come to me. Um, but, they uh they, it it doesn't generally end well for that junior sailor if they're in the position where it's not just a human being forgot it was there and and profusely apologizes and routes it up that's not generally the story that you hear um so i th i'll always and it's it feels like a cop out sometimes cuz i just keep repeating myself in a way but it's I always loop back to, I mean, kind of the answer to the first question is like leadership development and education and then teaching people project management when they get into leadership roles who are generally the people that are responsible for reviewing the admin or f furthering your process along or even advocating for you when something comes along. Um, and I'll tell a little C story to kind of make this point, I think, and then that'll be the answer only because I'm not super familiar with NOSC stuff. And if somebody's real concerned about that specific piece, which... I, I mean, I think the question was more generally the the failure of the sailor part, but uh, I can I got buddies that could answer this question better, and I could always bring them on. But um, so I had a, a CS one that she was uh, so she was a submariner. She's one of the first group of the female enlisted on submarines. Uh, after a few deployments, she got pregnant unexpectedly and was sitting up at the command that I checked into for the shore duty I'm on now. 
when I first showed up and she had had the kid and was just, you know, in the, uh, like the, she did her leave and stuff and then came back and was getting ready to transfer because she had f- basically finished her sea time between the, uh, surface ship she came from and the submarine. So she was applying to go to the white house as an enlisted aide and, uh, her screening process was, was going fine. And she's real sharp, always in the instructions, getting after like all the things she needed to get done. Cause she, re- she was real focused on getting this job. And then all of a sudden one day she gets an email saying, uh, she got dropped from consideration with no explanation. And I was like, well, that's bizarre, but okay. Um, and it was, w- w- I pressed her. I was like, what did, well, did they didn't say why? And she's like, no. So I well, ask him like what happened. And so she, emailed back and got an answer about um her record said she didn't have her fish which wasn't true um and then uh they got some kind of a email or something from um a force cs that says she still owed sea time and i was like that okay that's as bizarre also because that's not a person that should even be involved in that that would be the detailer so I just dug into it. I just got on like I got on the phone with the four CS and said, hey, man, what's going on with this? Like, did you send some email to the detailer? Turns out it was a guy he just relieved um, that did it, but it didn't make any sense. So then I called the detailer and said, hey, does she OC time? He said no. I had them both email me to that effect. Like, hey, you know, I support her going to the White House. She does not OC time from both of those guys. And then had her go get her, her dolphin stuff, um, had the admin guy start uploading her record, but she just you know, scanned it and we emailed all that to the uh, uh, people that are like, it was like admin people that were running the screening process. And then like a week later, she gets selected to go to the White House. And to me, like in my mind as her chief, I'm just like, and I'm like loosely her chief. She's just like, I'm there to, I'm on an inspection team, so I don't really have a division or anything, but. Um, I'm the CS chief in the room, so I'm her chief. And uh, as her chief, I'm just like, yeah, okay, cool, good. I'm glad that worked out. Move on with life, right? Uh, my CMC came and grabbed me when, uh, and I forget what they were doing, like a, I don't know, like a potluck or some dumb thing that people do on shore duty. But uh, and I was down at my desk actually working because I'm a masochist. And he comes down and like wraps me on the shoulder. He's like, good job, man. I, I just heard, I didn't know that all that stuff happened and you got involved and like made this happen and ba- like basically made it feel above and beyond. And in my mind, I'm like, I, that's just what I, is that not just like what the bare minimum expected response from a good chief would be like, I like I, that felt like my responsibility to, to do what I did. And it's not like I did anything crazy. I made a couple phone calls, compiled some emails, had her go get her certificate and then we sent it in. It was, it was, I barely, I might've put a man hour into that on my end. You know what I mean? And, uh, he was making a, uh, trying to make a case that, yeah, but most people wouldn't have done that. And like trying to make a case that that would have been like, okay, where if you get a response from the screening people say, and it was like a yeoman master chief saying she was dropped from consideration and, you know, sorry, try again next time or whatever that they would have just been like, wow, well that sucks. Like, I guess you got to go to a normal shore duty now and and not saying it in, in a way that like, I don't know, kind of like in, in like with any kind of negative connotations or like, um, not even like being lazy or anything. And in my mind, I'm like on fire. I'm like, no, that's, that's not okay. Like it's not acceptable. I don't understand why anybody would do that. But the, 
in his mind, what he was trying to explain to me was like, I'm expressing to you my appreciation and reinforcing the positive behavior because that's what I want out of the people in leadership positions doing what you do. But that's not like the mean, right? Like that's not what I expect and what I generally see. And so but I'm going to reinforce it when I do see it because I want to encourage it. And so like we kind of met in the middle and sort of agreed to disagree because in my mind, like I, that's like the bare minimum expected performance, but also like uh, I, in that way, I'm, I'm kind of an anomaly. Like I, I have this obsession with helping sailors, which is why I'm doing this on a Sunday and like why I do this podcasting in my free time. And like, and it's not because I think I'm better or whatever. It's just like this. I just feel this like responsibility that I can't shake. Like I'm in this role. I have the ability to help. So it's like uh, that same CMC described it as can, should, shall. And it gets me in trouble sometimes too, where I like you get into overwork and, and um, where I'm, I'm at work at 2100 because I'm, I'm insane and I just can't put stuff down and I can't let stuff go. Um, but it, there, I think there's a balance in there where a, a good chief that still goes home at a reasonable time and doesn't destroy his family life uh, still can accomplish that kind of a thing. Because, again, I didn't put a lot of time into that. And a lot of the things that sailors need don't require a gigantic amount of bandwidth to take care of. And if it became a norm, like so you're going back to the if if I was king for a day and was able to fix leadership development and, and like teach management and all those things in the Navy. It's like, if that would, that would create a mean where the bar is much higher, where people in leadership positions at all levels are functioning at a significantly higher level. And I mean, significantly, like even if it was 20% higher than it is right now across the board, like you're not going to run into these kind of issues on the same scale. Like you're going to fix 80% of the pain by just addressing that small amount of, of improvement in the leaders in all the tasks that they're doing all the time. Right. So, um, I, even with man, the manning issues and even with the op tempos and even with everything else, I think that if we invested in leadership development and education, which includes management and includes all those other things that you would see a big improvement in organizations like that NOSC, just because I think people would understand the importance and I can tell you if it's, if it's encouraging at all, I don't know if it is, it is, it is to me, but I don't know if it is to the people listening. Uh, the, I get more responses from chiefs than anyone else uh, to the podcast and, and in the flavor of like, you've completely changed my worldview on how to lead and how to do all these things. And like, I always suspected something was wrong, but the rest of the organization was doing it this way. So I was just kind of, you know, it's like National Geographic, like they're just doing what everyone else is doing, which is bad if you're doing it wrong, you know? So it's like they, the kind of responses that I have, like I, I put them in my charge book. I have them on my bulletin board, like the kind of stuff that reminds me that this is worth doing. Um, they respond to this kind of stuff so that if we were able to implement something meaningful in that space, I think you would see a, a giant leap forward in leadership and management ability from like the E five level all the way up to senior, senior leadership, like CMCs and like, and even above that, like fleets and stuff over a long period of time that would, that would largely eliminate a lot of this. What, what, uh, sea salt, I think it was explained as, uh, 
as administrative bloat. Like I think you would just see this dramatic improvement in efficiency. And there would always, I mean, it's not going to be rainbows and unicorns. Like there's always going to be issues, but I think a lot of the type of pain you see expressed via, you know, junior sailors on social media or meme sites or whatever would, would largely subside. Like there would always be this, the kind of like the standard issue pain of just like, you know, being on a warship that's deploying, like it's always going to be hard. It's, it's never going to not induce a certain level of pain because it's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do for a living. But yeah, I think a lot of it could be fixed just by making better leaders. Hope that wasn't too general. Now it's good. Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next question is from one of our recently uh, graduated A schoolers. So, uh, what are the top three bits of advice you'd give to junior sailors? And along those lines, uh, what is something you wish you had known in the beginning of your career that you know now? Um, okay. Uh, listen to the podcast. I have like a 170 podcasts. So, for there to be a top three, uh, it's hard, but I'll do my best. So, like, I. I would say the first one, and this is something that I teach all my brand new division officers, um, because that's you get a lot of and like juniors, too. But a lot of uh, division officers have a really hard time with this is um, there's a giant difference between uh, a personal critique and a professional critique. And I don't mean like formal critiques. I just mean like like when you get feedback on your performance a lot of times people when they first join the military and they're young and they like maybe don't have a work experience prior to the military or, um, you know, just the maturity level hasn't gotten to a point where they can differentiate and keep their emotions in check when they're doing that between a professional critique and a personal critique, it can get ugly. Like they think that every single thing a leader says to them, especially critical things are a personal attack and, Oh, my chief hates me or my LPO hates me. And it's like, not, not like, not always. <laughs> like, I know there's like bad leaders out there. Don't get me wrong. Like we just went on that giant you know, rant about how leadership development and education needs to get fixed. So I'm sure there are, are junior leaders in those LPO roles that are, are really bad at their jobs and, and also have not matured to a point where they can uh, untangle personal and professional feelings. Right. Uh, and I say professional feelings, they're not even really feelings. It's just like a professional analysis of someone's performance that's coming from a place detached from emotion. It's coming from a place of like, I want you to develop and I want you to do well because it's my job as a leader to make sure you do. So um, like some of the examples I, I usually give is like, I, I went through this really rough patch when I was at the A school as the SEL where I had to sit down and debrief a bunch of rough evals because I was actually... Uh, and like actually reporting on their performance that happened during that year, instead of just giving them this overinflated analysis that was in line with a trend for their previous evals. And I had sailors sit in those meetings and these are like first class that are up for chief sit in those meetings and argue with me. And the, like the evidence they tried to use to support their argument was, well, I was an LPO on an aircraft carrier and I was an EP and I led 300 sailors. And I'm like, well, that's cute. Like you did that a year ago. I'm, uh, I'm analyzing your performance 
from the day you checked in or the the day your last eval ended to the day this eval ended and your performance as an instructor at this command was not that and it's like whether or not you did actually did that at your last command i don't know i wasn't there but that's irrelevant like i'm analyzing your performance here and i'm telling you it's not you're not doing what you need to be doing and bizarrely i like and i don't know if it's because i i did a good job of explaining it or what but i think they just needed to hear it to to understand that you you can't put on roller skates and just keep going thinking that oh i did the work already i just need to sit around until they give me anchors it's like um and so it it helped them in a way in in that they needed to learn how to untangle those things and a lot of them did there was a couple that didn't really recover from being told and i i think it's because they knew and they did those are the ones that didn't argue with me but the ones that argued it was like they needed to have that mirror put up in front of them and once once it happened they were like oh okay Uh, and they got kind of pissed off and but they responded positively and they and, and when i saw the positive response happen I reinforced it and told them good job and stuff like that. So they understood that it wasn't, I'm not just a big meanie, you know, like I'm doing this for, to make you understand that you're not performing at that level. And here's the things you need to do to improve. And we're here to help. Like I had somebody have a meltdown because they were a fully qualified instructor and I was going to put them in a baking lab. And they were like, well, I don't know how to bake. You're setting me up to fail. I can't do that. I'm like, well, you're qualified to do it. So how do you not know how to do it? I was like, all right, fine. Like, well, I'll come in on Saturday and teach you how to bake over the, like, I'll teach you how to do these very basic things over the weekend. Like I'll get in here and do that for you, but you're going to teach this thing you're qualified to teach because you have to, because I only have 25 people. So I think for junior sailors, a big, big thing when they first walk into a command is understanding that the majority that, and even if look at it also through the lens of, even if you have leaders that are just being jerks, right? Um, try not to curse. So, because uh, then I'll, I'll have to edit it out later. <laughs> but um, it, even if your leaders are, are giving you a hard time because they really don't like you or because they think you're going to fail and they're just immature leaders that don't have the tools or the maturity level to uh, separate those two things and develop you and lead you the way that you need and the way that you deserve. If you're receiving criticism for whatever reason, right? good or bad, like leadership that is communicating like an objective professional criticism. If they're doing it in a way that sounds like they're just being a jerk and like maybe you should take it personally or they're doing it in a way that it's just them providing like really detached, objective criticism on your performance and how to get better because they have a genuine like investment in you and they want you to do well and they want you to be fully qualified, which even if they do a really poor job of communicating it, generally people in these leadership positions do want you to succeed because even if they air quotes don't like you because i only have the people that i have and the the better that you do in whatever we're teaching you how to do like whether you're qualifying a watch or like learning your trade or whatever the better you do the easier my life becomes and the easier everyone else life in the division becomes so they generally want you to do well anyway but however it's received don't take it personally, like just refuse to take it personally unless you get you're getting into where you're you're crossing a red line with like like physical hazing or sexual harassment or something like that, where then we're this. It's a totally different conversation. But if it's just like they're telling you you're bad at your job and you can kind of feel that underlying thing of like uh, like this person doesn't like me, just 
ignore that. What did they say that you can take out of take out of that statement and make yourself better from and just look at it like, okay, that was just professional criticism. I'm going to look into how I can be better at this maintenance item or how I can be better at work controls or how I can be better at, you know, chip and paint or whatever you're doing um, is being able to just look at that and say, okay, I can do better and find even if it's a small adjustment and then you're no matter how it's communicated, all it happens is you get better because of it and you move with life. And a lot of times, if you're doing the things that they're telling you to do and they're communicating it from a place of they do want you to improve, even if they're doing it in, a, in an immature way, over a period of time, you are going to improve because, of course, you are. And then they're, they're going to stop doing that and you're going to get a lot better at untangling the personal and professional stuff. But it can, it can really hurt somebody and their development early on when uh, you take everything personally. Like I had a a division officer. She was also my department head, but that I talk about a lot that she just could not detach from the idea that everything that everybody said was personal. Like she was one of those people that would ask me like, cause I I mean, when we're deployed underway on nuclear power, I'm not like, I'm generally not sleeping well. I'm stressed out a little bit. So it's like, not that I have negative interactions with everybody, but you know, I got like the uh, RBF and you know, like I walk in a room and everybody just assumes I'm in a bad mood all the time. And I'm not, but like it just, I'm just enduring. And uh, so we'd be talking and just based on my body language and facial expression, she would stop me mid sentence and she'd be like, are you mad at me? And I'm like, no, I'm not mad at you. Why would I be mad at you? Did you do something? Do you got something you want to get off your chest? Like, but uh, it's just, I, we're interacting in a professional way. Like I'm training you, I'm providing directions to you, I'm letting you know what I'm doing. And then we move on with life, like mentoring, whatever. But it was like CO would tell her something, XO would tell her something, department heads would tell her. Like she would, everybody was out to get her. Everybody hated her. Like putting her, putting her back together with super glue every five minutes because she would be crying and like just upset, which it, it took me a long time to get her to a place where she could generally differentiate between the two and it was if we hadn't worked so hard on that i think she would have had a really really hard time even continuing in the military because she was super bright really great at her job and worked really really hard but had a really really hard time with the personal stuff so that would that would be the first thing i would say is is really work on that and understand that even if it feels like it it's not personal these people just want you to be performing optimally because it makes their life easier. So it's like a, a, gen, a genuinely selfish pursuit a lot of the time. Sometimes it's not, even though it kind of still is, <laughs> by like good leaders where they, they want you to succeed because it's like, I say it's a selfish thing because it, the reward I get from doing what I do for a living is watching you perform well, which sounds like, well, they're getting the, the benefit because they're promoting or they're getting awards or they're getting qualified or whatever. Like that benefits me objectively because if they're qualified something, it helps the watch bill. It it helps the division. It helps me be able to like put people where they need to be and have flexibility and whatever. But it just makes me feel good to see them develop. Like I, I follow a ton of the students that I had in the A school and a lot of them are first classes now. Um, just like doing amazing things. And it's like every time I see one of those posts, I get super pumped about it. And it's like, that's the reward that I get out of it selfishly. But um but yeah, just uh, differentiating between personal and professional. God, that took forever. I'm sorry. And then uh, 
so that's the first one. It's a, it's a big one. And then I think a lot of people have a hard time with is detaching. Um, three things. God, this is going to take an hour. Um, <laughs> I would say the second one, like, I would say probably not being afraid to feel stupid. I was talking to my nephew about this the other day. Is like, I spent a long time, like, so submarine dolphin qualification process is, is it usually takes about a year. It depends. Some people do it in like six, six months. Some people take longer. Um, but when I was going through it, I felt like I needed to be like a subject matter expert on a ship system before I went and got a checkout. And that's not even a little true. It's like, you need to know, like, you know, you need to know how to draw it. You need to know where the components are, what they're powered from, kind of how the, how the system works, stuff like that. But there's generally a pretty, uh, pretty short, but, but specific list of the things you need to know before you go get the checkout and then move on. And I had a really hard time. Like, I'm like, I need to know because they might ask me this. So I need to know everything. And so it would take me forever and I'd get all tied up trying to do it by myself, but also thinking I needed to know everything and very rarely asking for help. Um, and I think having the ability to go ask stupid questions, air quotes, like, like, like there's a cliche of like, Hey, no, there's no such thing as a stupid question. Like, well, if you try hard enough, there probably is, but it's not being afraid to ask like, Hey, where is this component? Or, Hey, like, what do I need to know for this checkout? And ask several people so that you can kind of get the consensus if there's not formal guidance on it. Or, hey, like, where's this thing? Or what do I need to do for this? Or, or if you if you want to be something when you get to your ship or your warfare community or command or whatever, um, not being afraid to ask it and then not being afraid to feel stupid while you're learning it or, or doing the things that you need to do that you're not familiar with to get to where you want to be. Um, I had a, a student that was one, I think she was my first class leader, uh, in one of my A school classes. Um, and she asked me, she, she had been a swimmer. Um, I think like in high school, like a varsity swimmer. And she heard about rescue swimmers on the ship and she's like, well, I want to be a rescue swimmer when I get to the ship. I was like, all right, do it. Like, and well, what do I have to do to do it? I'm like, well, I don't know. I've never been on a surface ship. And then I ended up going and like, you know, asking some friends, but it's like, just say, as soon as you get there, when you check in, hey, I want to do this. You're probably going to get a weird look, especially because you're a cook. That's a whole other conversation that we don't need to have right now. But uh, and she was like five feet even like she was a tiny human. Uh, so it was easy to underestimate her. Um, and I, I did a little bit before I was convinced by this other class leader that looked like a G.I. Joe action figure come to life. Like he was like, <laughs> like if you could create a weird science, like class leader it would be this kid and he told me he's like you got to pick her as your class leader she's amazing all right um and she was and so she went to her first ship and did the things i told her to do where she you know like first check check an interview i want to be a rescue swimmer yeah okay well you got to do these other things first okay got it and so she went and did all those other things first career development board i want to be a rescue swimmer how do i do it and like they gave her the bare minimum response and like, oh, here's the instruction and here's some other stuff. You got to be in this shape and pass this thing and then you'll go to school and whatever. But you got to do all these other things first. And then I told her, I'm like, go be the annoying mascot of the rescue swimmers until you can be a rescue swimmer. So I was like, go hang out with them, go PT with them, go do whatever you need to do to make them know you're serious about it. And so she did. And so she was doing all those things. And then eventually they just got to a point where they're like, hey, we need a rescue swimmer. And she's the obvious first choice to send to school. 
Uh, so they did, and she became a rescue swimmer. And then her first shore duty, she was a rescue, a SAR school instructor uh, when she was on her first shore duty as a five-year first class, just a monster. And so it's like, it, it's uncomfortable. Like she definitely got laughed at a, a handful of times. She got told that she couldn't do it. She got told that uh you know because you're a cook and because you're little and you can't you won't be strong enough to do it or you won't be whatever like everything you could think of she got discounted and told she couldn't do it um and then she did it she ended up being a sar swimmer school instructor and just a a pretty badass human in general so um not being afraid to to feel stupid like to feel (laughs) uncomfortable and out of your depth and even look a little silly when you're asking hey i want to do this thing or hey uh, I'd like to be involved in this thing or whatever. Um, and I like, you can do it, but you've like, there's a lot of people that talk about wanting to do it, but aren't willing to, to be uncomfortable asking those questions, be uncomfortable walking up to those people and saying, Hey, can I, can I hang out with you and, and like take my, my social, uh, like uh, hazing for lack of a better word, licks and, earn my way into this group and then be taken seriously as one of whatever, right? Like, um, I got a podcast coming out soon. It'll be after this one. I'm going to try to put this one out tomorrow. Uh, if I can get it edited, but I got one coming out soon where I talked to a guy that was, he, he was on submarines and he's an it, but he's like, I really wanted to be an a ganger. <laughs> like, he's like, I just felt like attracted to their like camaraderie and esprit de corps. And they're just, they're the people that are basically the subject matter expert on almost every system on the ship. And it's, it's easy to admire them. I wouldn't want to do the job cause those, they work incredibly hard. Um, and it's a lot of dirty work and stuff, but, and I'm like the least mechanically inclined person on earth. But, uh, he, he talked about them f- like feeling drawn to them. And so he ended up being like, uh, I think it was the ship's DCPO or something just so he could work with them and be involved with them. And he kind of got adopted by the division as like a stray because he just really liked being with them near them. Like the culture, there's a lot of like heritage stuff uh, that's submarine specific to those, those guys. Like if you ask anybody, if you ever meet a submarine or ask him what happens, if you ring the bell in the machine or story, but uh, it, it's that kind of a thing. It's like, you've got to be willing to take action and, and go be uncomfortable, ask silly questions. The bell is not kind of false. Whoever typed that, that's a lie. I mean, maybe nowadays, maybe nowadays, it's a kind that's of a That shit is a hundred percent banned on my ship. Yeah, well, yeah. I was gonna say it's banned, but that doesn't mean it's false. It used to happen. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I got duct taped to the overhead of a diesel booth one time, so I, I know for sure that it's true from experience. But that was a long time ago. Um, number three, probably. I mean, it's like. A school students would ask me like the key to success or whatever. And, and what kind of the same kind of question, but it was like, just what advice do you have? And the last thing it's super simple and it feels really obvious, but you'd be shocked. Not only how, how, like it goes a really long way, but how far up in, in the pecking order you can do these things and be perceived as like a top performer. Like I'm talking like all the way up into the khaki level. If you're doing these things, you're going to be perceived as the person that has uh, all their stuff in one sock. And so the thing is like show up early in the right uniform with a good attitude and work really freaking hard. Um, it's, it sounds like 
something an RDC would tell you. And then there, I'm sure there's multi third classes and second classes that would tell me I'm an idiot, but I'm, I'm telling you, like, it's one of those things that it, like, if, if you're always early or like, and I say early, like on time, but you know, the early is on time thing. I'm compulsively early to everything just in case. And then, uh, so be early in the right uniform. So like, just make sure you know what the right uniform is. But part of the right uniform is like, like make sure your uniform looks good. And it's not uh, a lot of times I'll, I'll get in, in debates with like second classes about like why I care so much about uniform regs. And it's a lot less just because it says so. And a lot more because one, there's a heritage piece to it where I just feel a responsibility to present myself in a type of way. Um, and it's cause I'm caught up in a lot of, uh, caught ups are at wrong way saying it. I'm passionate about a lot of, uh, like CS heritage stuff that I just feel like I need to represent it in a certain kind of way. Um, and so that's a big reason why I do it. And that just got beat into me when I was young. And then, uh, there's just the, the very basic idea that like, if you look squared away, people are going to perceive you to be squared away. Like, even if you can't string together a coherent sentence, like people are initially going to assume that you kind of know what you're doing um, with the understanding that like there are dirty jobs out there and you're going to wreck your uniform sometimes. And you're not wrong, like all the way up to me being a senior chief, like when we would do stores loads, I would show up to the, to the boat in a, a crispy uniform with shiny boots. By the time I left, my boots were thrashed. I had food and just crap all over my uniform. But the next day when I came to work, I had a crispy uniform with shiny boots. It's, it's not, and it's not that they don't need to be shiny, but like I, I'm a, a high into the right guy with stuff like this. Like I, I starch and iron my NWs. So go ahead and have a laugh at that. I don't put creases in them, but like, I, I just, I just think it looks better. Um, so that, that goes a really long people because as much as we like to think we don't, it's like you judge people based on their physical appearance initially, especially when it's a first impression. Um, so, and especially like going back to the walking up to people and kind of saying like, Hey, I want to be involved in this, or I want to get qualified this, or I want to do this sort of thing. Like I can tell you conversations happen in the chiefs mess all the time where people are talking about like, Oh yeah, that you see that new guy, like guy squared away, man, the shiny boots, uniforms, good. Always has a fresh haircut, like always clean shaven. Like that's impressive. Like, let's see where this goes because it is a surface judgment. Like there's plenty of people I'm sure that will run around the fleet looking looking perfect in uniform and don't do anything productive for the Navy all day besides look like a recruiting poster. Like I, I know that happens, but it's, it's a big first step in the right direction when, especially when you're starting to interact with new people and presenting yourself at like boards and stuff too. So like when you get into like sailor, the quarter boards and stuff, it's an, it's a big thing. Um, you're going to get judged on your uniform appearance, no matter what, even, even if you're being judged by people that look like they, in their uniform and that's a fair critique as well yeah last in brown boots i got you i wear i now wear uh famous for my shiny boots i now wear those oakley uh they're like light assault boots because they're super comfortable and i don't have to shine my boots every day but i'm also on my way out the door so um and then like working really really hard is is i say that like it's it, like that in and of itself explains something but if you can look at examples of people that, you know, I might not be the most like 
intelligent human in the world and I may not be like naturally gifted at a lot of things and I may not be uh, uh, a natural leader, which I, I talk about on the podcast. Like a lot, if you knew me in real life professionally, you would th- you would laugh at me saying that I'm naturally an introvert and I hate conflict. And a lot of these things that I do are have been really challenging for me. Uh, to, like I had to learn how to do them and I had to learn how to be good at them so that I could be like the best leader for my sailors and, and the best advocate. And, and I just learned really quickly that I don't have to like conflict, but I have to be good at it. I don't have to like standing in front of a group of people and communicating, but I have to be good at it. Um, stuff like that. It's, it's not my, not always my favorite thing to do. Um, but I just learned it and I learned it by just working really, really hard at it. A lot of things where, um, I screwed up a whole bunch of times and looked like an idiot a whole bunch of times, but I just outworked everyone. And it was one of those things that I became really proud of was that, yeah, you might show up and and be more naturally gifted or more intelligent or more whatever, but you're not going to outwork me. It's, it's just not possible. Um, and I think that doing that and doing, and I'm going to say like doing that within reason, uh, because, separate conversation i that i feel like that's one of the reasons i kind of ran myself into the ground physically and mentally uh over a 20-year career so don't be a workaholic like me kids um but like especially at the junior levels like it's shockingly easy uh to outwork your peers in my opinion um and that's you you're gonna run into some people like you that are trying to do the same things and in my mind, that's a good thing because, you know, a little friendly competition never hurt anybody. But also it's kind of like uh, my buddy Jeff's always saying a rising tide raises, raises all boats. Right. So it's like I don't I don't even look at it like they're my competition. Like there's there's room for more than just one. You know, like it's not Highlander. That might be an old person reference, but there doesn't only have to be one is where I'm going with that is, is if, if there's two pipe hitting second classes going after a lot of the same things and you alternate sailor of the quarters and you're both EPs and you're ones, one and ones two, like it's your, it's not hurting either of you. You're both on a rocket ship to the top. So it's, uh, it's not something where you've got to like sabotage them or something. This isn't Mario Kart. I don't have to throw red shells at people. Um, but work really, really hard. It's something that, uh, by just genuinely putting in your best effort all the time, you're going to see, uh, the universe conspiring to help you. Cause again, like I went back, I mentioned earlier when they notice the uniform, it's like, they're going to notice the work too. uh, advice I give to new submariners all the time is, is what's about what advice can you give me to like get my dolphins? It's like, just go out of your way to work really hard at it and let them see you do it. Right. So let all of the E five and below submarine qualified people see you studying all the time, see you in a space, go up to them and ask questions like, where is this component? Um, can, and then ask them follow on questions about how it works and stuff. And, And what you'll find is the more they see you, the more they will start to like pay attention to you. They'll start telling the rest of the E five mafia about you, about how this kid like seems like he never sleeps. And I'm not saying don't sleep. It's, it's good for you. Um, but they'll see how hard you're working and they'll be, they'll be compelled to help you out and they'll start talking about you amongst the group. And then you'll see like, what'll happen is some E five, you, you, you couldn't even pick out of a lineup, a walk up to you and be like, Hey, 
you know, Seaman Timmy, come with me. And he's going to walk you through his space and teach you a system and then sign your qual card. And you're just going to be like, what just happened? And why did he help me for no reason? Because like uh, in that, you know, and I'm sure it's like this everywhere to some degree, but in that, uh, I don't know, subculture or whatever on a submarine, it's like th- that doesn't happen, but it will if you are seen and perceived to be working really, really hard and taking getting your submarine dolphin seriously. It's like, I always talk about how everybody's got a hoo button. Like you want to, you want to, uh, and it can always be leveraged. Even the most jaded, like bitter sailor still got a hoo button. You just got to find it. Submariner's hoo button is dolphin. It always, like it never goes away. And so they could be the most bitter, jaded person in the world. And like their uniform looks terrible. And I always got to tell them they need a haircut and all that stuff. But when you start talking about earning your submarine dolphins, they take that seriously universally. And so it's like, you find those those sailors and it's like that when they see you taking it seriously and they see you working really hard at it and they see you constantly in the spaces constantly in the books constantly asking questions it's you're they're all going to start conspiring to help you so work really hard because in addition to it it just being the the modality to get to you to where you want to be it also like you'll see people conspire to help you um they're going to notice that you always put that type of effort in all the time and they're going to start conspiring to help you. They're going to put you in, in the positions that you're pursuing because they feel like you're ready, or they're going to put you in positions you didn't even know existed because they see the potential in you and, and it's, it snowballs and then you end up, you know, trending really hard in the direction you wanted to go. So, um, yeah, those are my three. Sorry that took so long. <laughs> this is going to be a trend. <laughs> no worries. <laughs> All right. Next question. Uh, this is from a somebody still in depth. So, what advice would you give an older, late thirties seaman oh, okay. with multiple dependents making the transition from civilian to sailor? What are some obstacles that I might encounter that no one talks about that I should be looking out for? Yikes. Okay. Um, so, the first, the very first thing I want to say is, um, good for you. Uh, like. <laughs> Going in as a seaman recruit, being in your 30s and having a family is going to be challenging for a couple of reasons. One, you're about to get treated like uh, you're a child that can't be trusted to tie your own shoes for a period of time. And you need to be ready for that. Um, Just mentally prepare yourself for the fact that you're about to be put through a system that is built to indoctrinate 18 year old kids with not a lot of life experience into military culture. You're not doing anything wrong. Um, you're not, you know, like you're if if you go in with the mentality of like, yes, I'm a 30 year old grown man that probably has infinitely more life experience than these kids and maybe even some of the RDCs and um, you have a maturity level and you, you, you already know how to do these things. And yes, you could be trusted to do a lot more and you don't need to be talked to, to this way and all those types of things. Just turn that switch off in your brain and allow the adventure to happen. Like, just go into it, uh, smile, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, may I have another, and just understand that by virtue of it, it probably being a little frustrating to a lot of people that are in that position, it can also be a cheat code. So, because you have that life experience and because you have a maturity level and an understanding of kind of what's going on, it's almost like like you can see behind the curtain and see where the magician's hands are. Like you, you already understand what they're doing and, and what they're trying to accomplish and why they're doing it and whatever. So it's like, 
it's almost like you get to fast forward past what I talked about earlier, like the the um, the personal and professional like uh, conflict where people get people take everything personally. There's a lot of people in boot camp that take those RDCs yelling at them personally, including me. I was a 19 year old kid that I mean, I didn't I, I actively avoided them. Like I, I was basically in low power mode in boot camp because I had to I had to shut part of my brain off and just be in survival mode because I was so shocked by the the culture that was there and keep in mind this boot camp happened in like 2000 January 2002 so it was it was different uh than it is now but I mean you know probably mostly the same I would think but just understand that there's going to be a, it, it, that's going to happen so the boot camp part then a school so there's and I mean there's going to be grown-ups telling you you can't wear civilian clothes when you leave like stuff like that that you that you can't go see your family when you want to see your family all the time it's like you're going to probably have to have calm conversations with grown-ups that like you shouldn't have to have but in order to get to where you want to be like on liberty with your wife and kids you might have to like have a a maddening conversation with like a second class that's 25 about no actually I can stay out in town and I can drive my car while I'm school because in my PCS orders, I have funding for a hotel or, or whatever. Like, you, you know what I mean? Like you're going to be a unique case. A lot of the places you go throughout your uh, initial session training. Then when you get to the ship, you're still going to be in an environment where they're treating you like you're uh, a brand new 18 year old in a lot of ways. Like you'll see, and it, and it, it pisses me off a lot that it's treated this way, but a lot of times we had a running joke on one of my submarines where every every time something went wrong in the submarine, even if it was a chief doing something stupid, they would have these like E4 and below calls on the Mestex where they would like give this training on whatever ORM or like, I don't know, like alcohol related stuff or whatever, depending on what the infraction was. And it was always E4 and below, even if it wasn't the an e, it was an E5 or an E6 that got a DUI over the weekend. Yeah, get all the E4 and below in here because they can't be trusted. Even if that E4 or E3 is is 30 plus years old, right? So that kind of stuff's going to happen too. So it's just one of those things that you're going to need to like learn to expect it, but also learn to just, eh, whatever, like who it is, what it is. Like somebody said uh, one time to me, like when you're standing in a room uh, and this was a chief hilariously, but uh, we we're standing in a room and our cob was going in on us. We're in the chief's mess and our cobs going in on all the chiefs about a thing. And at the end, uh, one of the chiefs was just like kind of irritated that he had to stand there and listen to it because it wasn't a problem for him or his division. And my cob looked at him and goes, look, man, if the shoe doesn't fit, don't wear it. Like I have to address the group because not only do I have a large percentage of the group that uh, is having this issue and it's making a, a, a pro- it's a problem for everybody at the command, but I need people like your help fixing it. Like I need you to show them how to do what you're doing. So it's like, I need you in the room to know it's a be involved in that conversation. And instead of standing there being upset that the shoe doesn't fit, like help me with them, like speak up and be involved in the conversation as somebody who doesn't have this problem and has clearly figured out the solution to, to not having this problem and let like help me fix the rest of the of the of the leaders who are having these issues and so it's kind of one of those like where i would look at opportunities to use your life experience uh to help other juniors when you get there but also like be careful making that feel 
uh, condescending or like um, you're overstepping at all because there will be people that are going to be like, yeah, you might be 30, but I'm a second class and I'm 22. So shut up and color because I have two chevrons and a warfare pin or whatever. So just be aware of that too. And, and just let them, let them teach you like be humble about it. Um, when you go in, understand that, I mean, there's going to be a 19 year old, uh, seaman that is qualified something you're not, and it's going to be an expert on the thing that you need to learn how to do. So just be humble and ask that 21 year old or 19 year old or whatever to teach you and allow that to happen because they like, I can tell you there's a lot of really, really bright kids on these ships that are really experienced and, uh, that's why they're qualified these things and they've been doing it for a long time and they've been intimately involved in, in doing it and maintaining it and whatever. So it's like, y- you've got a lot to learn from those kids as well. Uh, even if it like, there's probably going to be one of those kids that's going to have a little fun with you because he thinks it's funny that he's it, like, he outranks you and is senior to you and you have to listen to him and stuff like that. So there's probably going to be somebody that, uh, has a little fun with that. And I, I mean, knowing all these things going in, it's like, you're going to have to lean pretty hard on your maturity level and your awareness of that. This is happening and just kind of smile, laugh, keep it moving. Like <laughs> just understand that there's going to be a lot of that type of frustration, I'm sure. Um, and depending on what you want to do, um, I don't know the context is like, do you have a college degree? Are you interested in being an officer eventually? is, is the plan to go the chief route, like I, or just do four years and get out. Like, I don't know what your, what your, uh, plans are, but there's a lot of things that you can do in the Navy as well. Um, so just be, you know, be aware of those things and be pursuing those things from the very beginning. I think, I think your maturity level and life experience will likely serve you well, but it trips a lot of people up, um, because it can be really frustrating to be told what to do by like a, a 19 year old when you're that old. Um, I had a kid in my first division that was, I think he was like 28, 29 and he was a third class. And then I quickly was promoted past him and he was always trying to tell me to what to do and tell me to respect his elders. And it's like, dude, I, I outrank you. And like, we were peers from the very beginning, but then I got promoted past him and I'm like, I don't have to do any, like I'll, I'll respect you cause you're a human being, but like, shut up. Like I don't have to, I don't have to do any of these things. He was just, he didn't, he couldn't understand. Like he couldn't accept like me being as young as I was b- getting promoted past him and, um, being in a position to tell him what to do. It was just, it was a, a hot mess every time. So, um, that's probably, that's the bigger stuff. And then the, the, like the other thing, um, I was going to go down another road of like, the financial stuff. Um, I don't know, and I'm not making any inference on your financial wellness or anything like that, but, uh, being a seaman recruit with a family and kids, uh, depending on if you if your wife's employed, just be aware that if you get in a bad spot, there's a lot of programs available to help you out and to ask about those early and often. Um, a good place to start is always like, you know, your LPO or chief, but fleet and family support center. Uh, like if you move your family and you, they have, they have everything from like classes on how to buy a house, classes on how to manage your finances. They have generally have a loan locker like um, where I mean, they have like ironing boards and cooking stuff like pots and pans and just general household appliances or like small things or like cribs or whatever that they can loan you while you kind of get set up. Navy Marine Corps Relief Society is a huge deal. Uh, in that in that area where you can go get uh, small like interest free loans that they'll 
take the payments out of your check. Yeah, just be aware of like Navy Marine Corps Relief Society it has got a lot of the same resources. Like they'll do a budget for you. They'll help you. Uh, there's a bunch of different kinds of loans. And I'm, I'm far from an expert on all of it, but uh, you can walk right into their office, talk to them. They can help you out, stuff like that. So there's, uh, there's a lot of really, really great resources out there uh, if you're ever in that position. Because, you know, like even if it's just a transition where like you're like if you guys get relocated and then your wife's trying to get a job and you guys are moving into a place and there's all these unexpected expenses, like there's a lot of things available to support you in that transition. So don't think you got to do it by yourself and like going to debt and then you can't get gas. There's a lot of things that happen to people uh, that come in with families that they don't understand what kind of support exists. So just be just be aware of that, that there's a ton of that stuff out there and just ask early and often so that the leadership uh, or the, you know, like the people running Navy Marine have the time to get you the resources you need before, you know, you're in a really bad spot. Yeah, for sure. Thanks. Mm -hmm. All right. I don't know if you have any particular opinions about, uh, the crews of space shuttles being all submariners, <laughs> but or we could skip that question. And if you don't, I, you, I'll answer anything. Man. It's, it's you curate it how you want to curate it. All right. We'll just go past that one. All uh, right. <laughs> any advice for prior enlisted sailors looking to commission in DC? I think that's direct commission. Uh, yeah. I've heard your interviews with the LDOs, et cetera. Yeah. I, so I looked, I, I wasn't familiar with what a DCO was, like what that program was. I Googled it right before the podcast because I kind of scrolled through the questions real quick. Um, it looks like that's a reserve program, I think. Um, so it's, it's, I'm not familiar with it. Uh, it's, I imagine it's probably similar to a lot of the other commissioning programs. I, I think that one, they said that like, Hey, we, I've read through the programs instruction. Um, I would have to do some digging into that program. I am the reserves do a lot of things very differently. And if I'm right, it, I might have just picked the wrong hyperlink when I was searching. But it looked like it was a reserve program. So I, I just I'm not super familiar with it. I honestly. And I've been through uh, the officer programs instruction with a fine tooth comb. So uh, I think it's a reserve program. It's not something I was. So that's something that I would have to do a bunch of research on and find some experts to talk to about it. But I imagine a lot of this stuff from those episodes, if you've already listened to them, then you've already had that kind of uh, gouge. But I think a lot of that stuff will still be true, especially the finding a mentor piece uh, it, that has commissioned through that program. Um, but yeah, it's one of those. That's one that I'm happy to help you find the answers you need. Uh, if you have more specific questions, just shoot me an email and I'll start you know, leveraging the, the relationships I have with reservists and see like, you know, my buddy, um, Rusty is a, is a active duty. Well, he's not active duty. He's a reservist master chief that is pretty passionate about all that stuff. There is a, um, if you're active on Reddit at all, there's a sub that there's some pretty knowledgeable people in for, uh, Navy reserves. And I, cause I post the episodes in there and they're, they interact all, but I I'm happy to help. If you want to shoot me an email, it's, I'm sorry to say you found level of knowledge gaps and I'll, I'll do some research on it just out of my own curiosity. But yeah, yeah, I would have to get, get in the books and get some smart people to help me out. Cool. Thanks. Uh, next question. Uh, any advice for being in a shipyard currently going into a multi-year engineering overhaul and I have no idea what to expect. 
Yeesh. Are they, are, do, we, do we know if this person's an engineering rate? I think that'll... No, I think he's a ST sub. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so yes, uh, it's gonna suck. <laughs> I, I don't know anybody that likes being in the shipyard, um, including me, who's a cook, and we generally shut the galley down. And then effectively have no job except for uh, standing duty. Um, most, I don't know if it's most boats. I always put my guys in the duty section, made them qualify gun watches. Um, and then I always stood duty chief. But uh, yeah, it, what happens in the shipyard is, so you go in, um, almost all the systems get put in layup or uh, like a lot of things just get shut down so they can do major work on a lot of different things, even if it's just a system that interfaces with another system. So they have to bring it down so they can do the work on that other system. It's like almost everything gets like shut down, put in layup, ripped out. Like you're doing a lot of like, uh, there's a lot of paint and preservation that happens. So they'll put together like uh, Dective will get huge. Um, you'll end up with a, and I'm, I'm speaking in submarine terms, so I don't, uh, also, if it, this is a surface ship, but on submarines, Dective is like a like we send people there uh, on loan because we don't have a ded- dedicated Dective. But um, Dective is doing a lot of paint preservation stuff, especially in areas where they rip equipment, get to it before stuff like that. Um, but there's a lot of idle hands uh, and a lot of um, a lot of just. <laughs> Ability for people to get distracted by things that don't really matter. Uh, so you'll see a lot of like the superfluous crap that a lot of times falls off the plate when you're doing operational things will all of a sudden be the main thing. So like think uh, career development boards, which I like and they're valuable, um, like division in the spotlight. Um, I don't know, like the stupid Navy collateral duty things. You'll do a lot of burger burns. The rec committee will get real active, like just all this other stuff. It's like it's like in the absence of a mission, it's like they try to fill the time with all this other stuff. Um, there will still be training. A lot of people go to schools, which is good. And if uh, if you're in a leadership position, which it sounds like you're you're not. But if you are, uh, that's the best possible time to send your people to school. Uh, if you're inexperienced and you need to get qualified some things or you just want to do get some experience at sea, it's a good time to go TAD to another ship and go to sea and qualify things, especially if it's necessary for promotion. Um, but the big thing is finding gainful employment. <laughs> and so what do I mean by that? It could be a lot of things, right? So it could be uh, like what I described already. Like if you if you have quals that you need to get done, and you're either planning on making this a career or at least sticking around for um, get talk to your chain of command about getting underway on another ship so you can get those things done. Don't think that because the whole ship is about to get put in layup that you can't get qualified things there. Everybody's undermanned. So it's like there's always going to be an opportunity. Uh, and, and it may even be good for you to go find that opportunity. Like if you have a friend that does the same thing uh, and they yeah, like they're telling you their divisions undermanned and stuff like you might be able to even bring the point of contact to your chief and be like hey they're asking for like to get underway to get qualified can we make this happen and i mean most of the time at least for me it, unless i had some other reason to say no i was all about it. i was just like get out of here man because like there's nothing for you to do and so it's frustrating to try to keep you busy and then also what happens is a lot of at least 
you know, to me, at least the good leadership is you maximize liberty, which is which sounds great. Right. And, and it is largely. But with a lot of time off, uh, sailors get find ways to get in trouble. And so what you see spike a lot of the times, unless you're at a really good command and it's still going to spike a little bit. Just because there's an increase in opportunity, but there it isn't is you'll see DUI spike. You're going to see um, a lot of times people get super relaxed and um, all all the way up the chain of command. So you can see a lot of engagement drops. So you could see like a lot of work controls issues because also there's a large spike in opportunity for work controls issues because you're doing a lot more tags and wafts and whatever because you're ripping the whole ship apart and doing all these jobs to to get everything done. Um, so there's a lot of idle hands that find their way to do the devil's work. <laughs> so it's it's one of those things that find something to be gainfully employed with. And that could be school. It's an opportunity to do college classes, use tuition assistance to do online college. You could even set up something like so for culinary school, right? Like when I was on my first shorty, I can't I can't learn how to cook online. Um, I have to be like in a culinary lab to learn a lot of this stuff with a chef. And so I worked out a thing with my chain of command where I was going to uh, culinary school on the weekends. Um, and so I would just work. It was weird. It's like kind of like a five and two, uh, at this base galley. And so when I would, was supposed to be working the weekends, I would go to school and I would come in after. Uh, so I, I mean, it'd be, it was like a 45 minute drive to the school. So I would get back from class at like 7.30 at night. They're like shutting the galley down for the night. And I do all my baking and whatever and put it all in the fridge. So that I was still doing what I needed to do, but I would come in for like three or four hours and then go to class the next day. Um, it was insane, but it, I'm whatever. I was, I was in. I got to go to this really great culinary school. Um, so yeah, college, professional certifications, depending on what your rate is, I guess sonar tech, I don't know how many professional certifications there would be, but if you're interested in doing something else when you separate like IT stuff or whatever, I'm doing a bunch of, uh, that's why project management was on my brain. I just did some, uh, it's like lean six Sigma stuff. Like I'm, I'm in a class this week for the lean six Sigma black belt stuff. And then, uh, we did one last week called agile scrum, which I didn't, it's it's as ridiculous as it sounds, but it's it's whatever, man. It's like they're setting up this other guy set up these classes and it's stuff to put on my resume when I retire. But stuff like that, right, that can help you get them. If you're planning on separating, like start. This is a great time to front load a lot of the tasks that will prepare you for separation. Right? Get a budget done so you can save your money and pay off your debt before you separate. Get you start getting in, in college classes so you can either be done with or significantly uh, progress towards finishing a degree before you get out. If that's what you need or take the classes for, to get your whatever comp TA or whatever it crap, like, uh, whatever you need to do, um, to, to be prepared to separate from the military. Um, but yeah, I find a way to be gainfully employed, whatever it is, even if it's like just doing something productive, um, like, I don't know, like some kind of fitness programming or like I started doing jujitsu when I was having mental health issues and it's helped me a lot, just the physical activity and, and, uh, just doing something hard, but whatever it is, find a way to stay gainfully employed so that you're not falling victim to that, like idle hands thing. Um, cause a lot of people are going to get in trouble and then it can make 
it can make, depending on how far it goes, like how much spikes it can make for a really unpleasant work environment in that the chain of command is going to start cracking down uh, on a lot of things to try to mitigate it. And then same thing like work controls. I mean, depend, depending on how bad it gets, you could have like outside entities coming in and monitoring things like it can get kind of ugly. Um, so hopefully, yeah, it, it's very dependent just on the kind of command you're at and how they manage it and how aware they are of the potential for that. Um, but yeah, and there can be a lot of like frustration when you at work for no reason because there's not a lot going on. Uh, if you have a leader that's afraid to let you leave early, uh, there's that. Um, other than that, I mean, yeah, it's kind of, there's a lot of dead time to be taken advantage of. So I guess that's the best advice I could give you is, is try to, try to like, to find a way to take advantage of that now at the beginning instead of wait until the end. Cause you'll see a lot of people kind of, man, I should have took college classes or man, I could have done this. Even if you wanted to like get a second job just to pocket a bunch of money, like it's all kinds of things you can do. Um, but you're going to have time to do it a lot of the times, uh, especially like sonar techs. I mean, you're going to take your equipment down. You're going to be like, kind of like cooks. It's like sonar techs aren't going to be doing anything except uh, like putting all your equipment in layup for maintenance or for an upgrade or for whatever's happening to your equipment during that period, you're at least going to like shut it down and put it in layup. I would imagine because there's could be other things that affect it, you know, if other maintenance items. So uh, if I had to guess, yeah, I mean, you're going to stand duty and <laughs> like, and that would, that would be, if, if you're going to continue in the Navy too, like find ways to, you, you got to shift almost to a, a little bit of a shore duty mindset in, in that, you're going to have to find ways to do things to populate your eval. And, and yeah, you're competing against sonar techs and well, not even, not just sonar techs, but like second classes on the ship that are also in the same environment you're in. So like a lot of them are going to have primary duties going on, but like for the nukes or people with major uh, maintenance items during the overhaul, that's going to, what's that's going to be what populates their eval. But for like, a cook or unless you guys are doing a major overhaul on your equipment, like a sonar tech, it's going to be hard to populate your eval with primary duty stuff. So look for some collaterals, maybe look to go on a ride with another ship and make a, an impact there uh, get, and get qualified things like sonar soup. Uh, if, if that's where you're at in your progression. Um, and if not, like just get qualified, whatever's next, because that's a thing that then your chief can be like, Oh, when we get out of dry dock, you know, this, this sailor is now more qualified than they would have been because they volunteered to go to sea and they affected positively the mission of that ship who, you know, had a manning gap. So they supported their watch bill and all this other stuff. So, um, that's probably about it, man. Like I, dry dock sucks. Like I hate being, I hate being in the shipyard. Um, but there's, there are a lot of good opportunities to take advantage of like while you're there, um, depending again on, what what kind of things you'll be doing, but you'll still you'll still have an opportunity to do things like school. Uh like you can do online school when whenever you get home. But you're you're gonna be home every day except for your duty days. Um so you'll you'll have the ability to get school done, to do certification classes, to do all that kind of stuff. Whatever whatever your pursuit is, you'll you'll have a, a ton of time to to take advantage of that. So that's what I would that's what I would advise is depend you know, whichever your path is, separation or or continuing out in the Navy, there's a lot of things you can get done during that time. Cool. Thanks. Yeah. Shipyard, not great times, no matter where you're at, subs <laughs> yeah, or service. Yeah. For sure.
All right. Next question is a letter of the board question. So uh, first class, I got back to back 414 EPs on my last command and the last eval showed me not doing a significant leadership job that was on the one before it because he turned it over to do a short IA tour in Iraq. And okay. he's asking okay. if I can get a senior chief who was with me in the command to explain I wasn't removed from the leadership job for being bad at it. Uh, should I include that in the letter of the board? Um, ooh, I might have follow on questions. Um, so I'm going to, I'm reading it right now as well. Um, it, it's, I would, this is one where I'd, I'd almost have to see these evals and I'm happy to do that. If you want to, uh, strike all your personal information from, from that stuff and then email it to me, uh, don't corrupt shit podcast at gmail.com. Send it over. Send me your uh, screenshot of your PSR. Uh, for as, as you know, all the way back as far as you can, uh, like to the like E4 range, uh, and then send me, you know, your last five evals and anything else you think is significant. Because in addition to being able to competently answer this specific question, I can kind of give you like a, a look as far as if there's any other things you need to fix or there's any other issues that'll be perceived by a board member. But the way I'm looking at this is. You got back-to-back 4.14 EPs. The last, I think it'll be read, as long as it was captured in the way I'm assuming it, that uh, you did the IA. So in in lieu of uh, your first bullet in Block 43 being a, a description of the leadership impact you made in that leadership job, that the first bullet is, I was IA to Iraq. Um, I think it'll be pretty obvious to a board member that you weren't doing that job because you were in Iraq. I, but I'd have to see the evals to make sure that they didn't construct them in a way that makes it confusing, if that makes sense. So if, um, if it is confusing, I would say yes. Explain it in your letter of the board. Um, I would, I'd like something more than a senior chief from the command. It would be better. If they were the SEL, that's fine. But it's something like a triad person. And if it, if it was kind of a weird construct where you just had like a, an SEL and like an OIC, one of the two, if not both, would be fine. Um, just because it's like a random senior chief at the command. I guess if he's your LCPO, that would be it. It, it just depends. The higher, the better. It just I would if, if that guy signed it as uh, or she signed it as the LCPO. That you, from that unit that you were assigned to while you're in Iraq, I would accept that. I don't know if every other board member would be like, uh, I think they would. I, I would assume that they would. But the higher up in, in the chain of command you can get to co-sign on that letter, the better. Uh, it just provides more certainty to the board. Um, but yeah, I think by virtue of, it, unless they just did the world's worst job of explaining th- this on the eval, I think most board members are going to be able to discern that you went IA and, and by virtue of the fact that your eval did like you, you didn't drop your, you got another 0.14 EP. So if you had gotten removed from a leadership position, I would, I would assume that your eval would not stay at the same level. Um, and you would not get ranked in that place. Plus I have a, a what feels like a pretty obvious reason for you to no longer be in a leadership position. So, um, but this is one that I would, if you're willing, you know, um, 
redact all your personal information and send this stuff to me and I can give you a way better answer with the evals in front of me. Um, but if, if there's any uncertainty, some kind of explanation in your letter to the board is always the answer. Because uh, you don't want to leave the board member with any type of uncertainty. Uh, it's, it's difficult to know how it'll be perceived, but it's almost always perceived like... I'm going to say negatively, but it's, it's only negative in that I don't know what happens. So I can't give you all the credit that you likely merit, if that makes sense. So it's going to hurt you because I could have given you more credit. Like I could have graded the record higher, but because there's an unknown there, it's like, I don't know what to do with my hands at that point. So you're probably going to lose out on, uh, some, some positive, uh, grading it, it that I, I just can't do. Cause I don't know. So if there's uncertainty there for sure, submit it in your and I'm happy to take a look at, at your record, um, not just this piece. I'll, I'll look at the whole thing if you want. Feel free to shoot it over to me. Cool. Yeah, thanks. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see. I think we're almost about at the end here. Yeah. Um, yeah. In your opinion, what are the pros and cons of becoming a Master Chief or CMC compared to going uh, Chief, Warrant Officer, or LDO? Um, so just to, there's been some perception that I've served as a cop and I haven't, um, just for clarity for everybody. Um, I got almost qualified cancer thing happened and then I just decided it was time to retire. Um, but I, yeah, I filled in a bunch of times. So I, I have an idea of what it's like to do it. Um, and then just talking and working through the quals, I feel like I have a pretty good idea to, of, of what it's like to do it, but I've never actually done it. I've never shouldered that burden. So I'm sure there's things I don't know, but as far as, um, the, the differences are, so as you promote as a chief, you get further detached from your specialty. So, um, not, and not that you're not involved. You just like the, the best descriptors. Like, so for, as a cook, like you're involved in cooking until you get promoted past it. So like you make first class and you're an LPO, uh, you're still in the galley, you're still supervising, you're still teaching. So you get your hands on some of it sometimes, but not all the time. Uh, and, and then when you make chief, it's like you get detached even further where like, yeah, sometimes I'll go in the galley and do some training and show them some stuff. But the vast majority of the time I leave a lot of that to my LPO and my becomes a lot more administrative. And then you get pulled away from it a little bit more with like collateral duties. And I was filling in for the cob all the time. I was standing diving off to the watch. And so I'm doing all this other stuff. I was a department chief too. So I'm at ops briefs and planning meetings and all this crap. So the more you get promoted, it's more leadership and man actual specialty. And this will apply a little bit to warrants too. And LDOs, especially like you become a supply officer. So in, in my realm, like in, in the other realms, you'll become more of a, like an officer doing higher level management tasks for your community. Um, warrants are very specialized and they're expected to be more technical, uh, less leadership uh, and management. Like there's definitely going to be some of that. You're an officer. Uh, so they're going to be in divo roles a lot and they're going to be in like, very specialized roles at like um, either training commands or, or like uh, squadrons, groups, stuff like that. Um, they, but they're, it's a lot more technical. They're, they're very involved in policy, training, uh, quality assurance of their specialty. And they're doing a lot of oversight of their specialty. 
So they're a lot more technically engaged in whatever designator they have. Um, it's certainly not a bad thing. Like I could seriously consider becoming a warrant officer. I got addicted to the leadership part of it uh, and, and just found myself wanting less and less to do with the cooking part of it. Not, not that I don't like it. I just, I'm not as, I was extremely passionate about it when I was younger. I wanted to go to culinary school, be a chef. And that's what I was about. But then, um, when I stayed in just long enough to make chief, uh, I, I made chief at nine and a half years. And then I finished that who are on that second submarine and I was ready to separate at 11 and a half years as a chief because I just, I wasn't, I didn't want to be a cook chief. I like, I just, and it's not, I love them. I love my, my CSs, but I just, I didn't want to keep doing that. But then I got to run the chief season and it was like crack. I was just like, I can't do this in this way anywhere else. And that's what pushed me over the edge was like the, the ability to be a good chief and do that leadership development stuff. It was just like, okay, no, this is what I want to do. <laughs> like, and, and I, I mean, I tried to actively avoid being a cook chief too. I was trying to go back to CMC, but there was just no jobs available or at least that's what I was told. But I, uh, that would be the big difference. Um, the, like the, with, I think in the chief realm, you get pushed a lot more, even if you're an in-rate master chief, you get pushed a lot more towards leadership and management tasks. You're still going to be involved if you stay like as an in-rate master, you're still going to be involved in higher level policy stuff um, for your, your rate specifically where, so like an, an ordinance warrant officer is going to be involved in more than just whatever their source rating was. Um, but generally you're going to get you're going to stay pretty close to that um, based on they're going to leverage your past experience. But, um, but yeah, you kind of, you, you're committing to a, a specialty as a, or as a mash sheep, especially going shed your, you shed your source. And then that you're only doing leadership uh, and management type stuff with, with personnel. And that's the stuff that I wanted to do. Like if I stick around in the Navy, that's where I was going to go be a cop. And then I was going to be a CMC and then just go wherever that went. Um, because I really enjoy that stuff. Um, the only thing that stopped me from doing that was the medical stuff. It's like, I still want to be a cop, but the price of admission for me personally is, is too high. So, um, yeah, I mean, I hope that answers that question. Well, that's the big difference. Uh, so if you, if you want to pursue the leadership and management stuff, and and really, I say that, but it's like if you want to be in a position to make the biggest impact on junior sailors, it's it's being a chief for better or worse. Like you're going to make the biggest impact possible, like you possibly can, as a chief. Um, and I say that just meaning like if you take it seriously and you work at being good at it, you're going to make a good impact. And if you don't, well, go look at the meme sites. Um, but you're in a position to affect junior sailors the most, like the thing that affects the quality of life of a junior sailor more than anything on a daily basis, I would say is the behavior of the chief, um, which trickles down through the LPO and stuff. But, uh, and then if you want to be involved in more higher level stuff, especially like technical policy, uh, affect your, your community more overall, like affect how the trade is plied basically like then warrant LDO could uh, more warrant than LDO, but warrant and LDO. Um, cause some communities don't have a, a warrant designator, but they have LDO. So yeah, it, that's kind of the big difference for me. 
Cool. And we got, I think, one last question right at the end here. Uh, if okay. you find yourself okay. under a poor or toxic leadership command climate, do you have any advice for surviving and thriving? And any advice for taking care of your sailors as a JO or enlisted leader if you end up under a command climate like that? Um, so, yeah, I've talked about this in some podcasts. Uh, unfortunately, I couldn't point to <laughs> the specific ones. I really need to make links for you guys. Um, I would say, so first addressing the poor toxic commands climate thing, like I'm going to just go ahead and assume that we're talking about both like inept just due to not being, you know, properly trained or equipped to do the job. And also like when you end up with the type of idiot that ends up on the cover of the Navy times for like doing crazy stuff. Um, in those, in the kind of like those triad positions that trickles down. So like you end up with a really poor climate, um, surviving and thriving. The big thing for me, and and this, this will really be for both of the questions, like taking care of your sailors. Uh, if you're a leader in that position as well is you, wherever you are, you have a, whether you're a, you know, like a third class work center supervisor or an LCPO, you have a sphere of influence and, and there's, you can only really affect the people that are within your sphere of influence. And it's not just the people under you. Um, like as a chief, my sphere of influence extends to like my division officer, a little to my department head. Uh, if I'm a department chief, my sphere of influence affects my department a lot because I'm kind of, if you look at it through the lens of like in our little departmental chain of command like i'm i'm like the in senior enlisted advisor for that department so they they lean on me a lot as their department chief to help them navigate running their department just like a co relies a lot to to uh properly interface with the enlisted and blah 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 so i would say everybody's got a sphere of influence you need to take the time to analyze what your sphere of influence is who those people are and then as productively as possible influence those those people in that sphere in the best way that you can so that looks like um if you're at a at a toxic command where uh there's just a lot of really negative stuff going on as far as that that like negatively impacts everybody's quality of life people's ability to get qualified things uh maybe there's favoritism maybe there you know there's a a gamut of of things that could be happening that add up to that poor toxic uh, leadership climate, but whatever the obstacle is, find ways to mitigate the impact to the maximum extent possible while you're still coloring inside the lines of, of policy and, and UCMJ and stuff like that. And then also um, find ways to get around it, which is kind of the same thing, but they're different and I'll explain it. So like to mitigate it, there's a lot of things you can do in leadership positions to just, absorb the brunt of what is resulting in that climate. So like uh, if they're keep if, if, if they're insistent that there be uh, like divisional representation there, like well, there was just one time I had a cob that would like walk around at like 1700 and inspect cleanliness and spaces. And then if it wasn't good, he would like go find divisional representative and tell him to get down to the boat and clean. And I'm like, that's ins- I'm not keep. We were in the shipyard too, so go back to that last conversation. So I'm not keeping them at work every day till 1700, just in case you find a dust bunny. Just not doing it. So I was a young chief, 
And I was just like, get out of here. Uh, I will stay. And if it's not clean, like, and I would make sure that my people cleaned the things that needed to be cleaned. I would stay at work until 1700 when I sent them home at noon or, or whatever, depending on what was going on. Um, and if there was, if he found something in my space, I was on my hands and knees cleaning it. So there's, you can become, uh, a bit of a shield for your division. Like you can, um, stupid things like that. Like I would just stay where I was the, I, and I don't, I'm time warping here in my mind. Like I don't remember because I don't think it was the cob I had the majority of the time that it was the one. So it might've been my first shipyard period and I was a first class. I don't remember, but either way, um, I can, I can stand in front of that bullet and take it for them. You know what I mean? Like the stupid stuff like that. You, you will see leaders keep their divisions at work out of fear that something like that'll happen. And Oh my God, we have to go down and fix it. It's like, okay, well we includes me. And if you're gone, and I'm there and I would, I would stand in my space because I knew he was coming. I would stand in my space. He'd walk through and be like, you got anything, Cobb? You see anything that needs, needs work? And because he sees me, he sees me actively engaged with the problem that he perceives. It's like he's not thinking about where my division is. He's thinking that I'm going to go get my division problem. But that's not what would happen. I would just fix it myself. It would take me five minutes because we were keeping the space clean. And then I would move on with life. And I, I would generally be walking away by 1730. Um. So finding ways to mitigate the impact, whatever it is, um, there, sometimes it can be tricky. Uh, but a lot of the times you can, you can make life a lot better by absorbing the impact, uh, largely to the point that they didn't even know it was happening. Like they didn't know I was doing that. I, they probably still to this day don't know that I did that. Um, but they knew they were going home at noon. (laughs) They knew that. (laughs) And they knew a lot of other people were. So, I, uh, you know, they, and I wasn't always new, just using that example to make my point. But, um, but also the other thing where it's, it's getting around it. What I mean by that is, um, so I was on a special project submarine, uh, where the op tempo was absurd. And so this wasn't a negative command climate, but it was extremely demanding and it, it was really rough on first term sailors. Like, there's just a different mindset when you go to a submarine and it's your first boat. It's like, you want to see the world and all that crap that they talk about in the commercials and you want to do all these things. Uh, and f- for everyone else on that submarine, like we all volunteered there. And so, so did these guys technically, but yeah, it's different. Um, but I volunteered to be there knowing v- pretty much what I was getting myself into. And I was doing it on purpose because I wanted to do something cool I wanted to do something challenging and I wanted to do something that was going to get me promoted. And it did all those things, but it was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And for my juniors, I don't think they knew what they were getting themselves into. It just looked like a cool guy thing. They, I mean, we didn't go to ports like unless the submarine broke. We left our home port. We came back to our home port. We did really long missions where consecutive days at sea, underwater, doing God's work. And that was it. And it was, back to back to back to back like deployments it was it was we would pull the submarine in just long enough to fix stuff that was broke and put more food on it and we would turn around and go right back out again for two years at a time and we're talking like 300 days a year it's absurd so when we were in port for those small periods of time every single opportunity i had to get somebody some liberty by being creative i would do that so what do i mean by that i mean 
Uh, so we would come into work, make sure, you know, like something, if there was something major going on, cool. If I knew there was nothing major, uh, I could do this where they didn't come in at all. But a lot of the times what I would do is they would come in, they'd probably be day after duty and they would come in and I, it's kind of just make sure nothing came up after I, like, we do what's called officer LPO call in the morning. And then, uh, I don't know if they call it the same thing everywhere else, but, and then uh, we do a khaki call before that. So I, I kind of have a great picture of what was going to go on that day. And then I'd just be like, all right, uh, Seaman Timmy, you have dental at zero or at 10. So you should probably leave at like nine 15. Bye. I'll see you tomorrow. You know what I mean? And it's just like a wink, wink and get out of here. And if anybody asks like, Hey, where's Seaman Timmy ever like he's a dental and maybe they were at dental and, and then they didn't come back, but sometimes they weren't. Or I'd tell them like, Hey, you should go do that. Uh, you got to go get your will done or you got to go whatever. You know, I, I just make up a thing to get them off the boat. Um, and it, it's a lot of times if there, there were days where you're just in transition, like I'm doing a lot of work planning the logistics of getting this thing back out to sea where I'm, I'm working on the load plan and I'm ordering uh, consumables and I'm ordering like the pieces and parts I need for all the stupid food service machines and I'm ordering the food. But we're like, what the big event for us is loading all that stuff onto the boat and getting it stowed. And those are some really long days. And so what I would do is I like when we're in the period where I'm kind of waiting to get to that point, it's like after lunch is over, unless there's some like command wide training going on, some other like really compelling reason they need to be there. I don't really need the whole division there after like lunch cleanups complete. So that's what I would, that's just what I would do. And I try to get like one person early day when they're day, day after duty. And then other people, it's like, <clears throat> I might keep my LPO and one other person and then cut the rest of the guys out. Uh, at like 1330. And it's, and it was one of those, like, don't bring a backpack to work, like leave one at a time slowly so that like no one calls you back because like back then I was a pretty junior chief. Um, so it was, it was like, I knew that I, I didn't want other divisions getting jealous. And I was like, don't go run around bragging that your chief's letting you leave 1330 when everyone else is here till 1780. Because like some of them needed to be like genuinely there was a lot of like the a-gangers and electricians and stuff like that there's a lot of things they need to do to get the boat underway but sometimes you know not really and and they were just there because their chief didn't want to take this risk and to me it was like that's my job i'll take that face like if my if my cop had found out that i was doing that and i i'm willing to bet like he probably was aware and just appreciated my um What's the word I'm looking for here? My, uh, um, where I'm, ah, got him. Yeah. It's subtlety. Yeah. Or like, um, discretion. There you go. That's what I was trying to say. Um, he appreciated the discretion where it wasn't like I was being blatant. And so I think he probably caught wind of it at some point and understood what was going on and just decided he was going to allow me to be in charge division and everything was getting done and i was routinely briefing him on what was going on and when we were doing it and how we were all these things were done all his terry cloth was on board and like all that kind of stuff that he's concerned about like i was and i was always there it was i i kind of that's the sacrifice uh, if you're in a leadership position if you're not your sphere of influence is way smaller and there's going to be a lot less control it's there's not a great answer 
that I have. I, the The one thing I'll say for juniors that are in a position where they're they're not in a significant leadership position where they have that kind of control is do the best that you possibly can in your sphere of influence, but but particularly for like going up, like for the leaders that you do have, do the best you possibly can to make their life hurt less because you do have the ability to do that. And a lot of times what I see is, is sailors have a really negative reaction to their leadership. Um, when they're in a position like that, their direct leadership is generally not the one driving that climate but they're responding to it and they're probably miserable and they're probably not as equipped or mature as you think they are or think they should be. So they're probably going to feel like they're contributing to that because they're frustrated and pissed off and they're staying at work late too. And they're missing time with their family too. And they're getting a lot of pressure from bad leadership. So what you can do as like a second or third class that's in that position is find ways to make their job easier. Like if you're going to be there till 1800 anyway, hide and birthing or find ways to disappear, like find ways to take things off their plate and make their job hurt less so that hopefully there's that creates the wiggle room needed for that or the leader above them even to do the things I was just describing. Um, at the very least, it'll make them want to be a more effective shield for you. Uh, if they don't have the the ability to be creative, like I was describing, they do have the ability to shield you a lot of the crap that's making your life hurt. And I, they will start to feel like that, like a loyalty debt to you <laughs> that, that amongst this chaos and pain, you're taking the time to help them and make their job easier instead of like a lot of times you, you get an angry mob mentality in the division when stuff like this is happening and it's like, I'm already getting it from one end in that leadership position. Like I'm already getting like my soul sucked out of my body by the chain of command that's creating this command climate because if it is really genuinely the command climate, it's not just like a department or division that's having these issues. Then it's like, it's not me doing it. Like it's the command is crushing my soul. And then I, so I don't need it from you too. Like I need help. Like I need somebody to, to, to do what they can to try to mitigate those things in our sphere of influence. And so your sphere of influence affects your LPO. It affects your chief a little too. So that if there's any obvious areas of need that they're spending bandwidth on that they don't need to be because you can fix it for them like immediately without their input, do that. If there's stuff that you need to kind of go to them and say, hey, what can I take off your plate? Do that. Um, it, you know, especially if you're stuck at work long hours for what feels like no reason, well, productively use that bandwidth and time. Like you're there anyway, you might as well like shovel some of this for lack of a better word for the people that are in those leadership positions so that you can try to get to a point. It relieves some of that pain and pressure. And hopefully those leaders can then do some of the things I described earlier, but I hope that answer it's, it's a really tough scenario. Like it's it doesn't always feel like there's a way, uh, a way that you can do anything about that when you're in a junior position. So, uh, yeah, it, it can be tough. It can be really frustrating, but, uh, you do have, you, you always have a sphere of influence. The most junior seaman recruit on the ship that just checked in yesterday has a sphere of influence. You can do things that positively influence the people above you immediately. If you're capable of identifying them, 
And, and I think a lot of, of second classes, like salty second classes, salty third classes, you know what needs to get done. You know what that weak area is that, that the, like the thing you could do to make that person's life easier, even if you don't like them, you doing things to contribute to their ability to handle this load is going to like it positively impact everybody's uh, like work environment, you know, and, and just like morale and the climate that the command climate that's actually like affecting them on a daily basis, it's going to make things better no matter what. So that's what I got for that one. I, I, can, I can answer this later <laughs> chiming in at the last minute, but I, I'm good to go on another one if you want to do that. Yeah, go just go ahead and answer that last question. What's the first thing you want to eat whenever you get back from deployment? Uh, it's generally pizza. Um, I'm a big uh, I'm a big pizza uh, person. Um, it, but it, I guess it depends on the deployment. Um, like, it, I guess it depends on the deployment. It depends on like I, on my uh, first chiefs tour. I, I got to be in the galley all the time. I wasn't I qualified uh, chief of the watch and, and duty chief, but they only had me stand duty chief. They didn't, uh, I, I had a junior division and no fleet returning. So they kept me in the galley all the time, which was awesome. Cause I got to do a lot of training and the food became a lot better as a result. So the pizza was amazing. So I might've been less hung up on pizza on that boat, but then on the bo- boat before it was like, it was, it wasn't terrible, but <laughs> it wasn't as good. Um, but yeah, it's almost always pizza. Taco Bell used to be a thing. I used to be real cracked out on Taco Bell on my first Chiefs tour. Uh, less so uh, going forward after that because I got in better shape and started eating healthier. But uh, yeah, I would say like if I deployed right now and came home, it's like pizza uh, or a really good, like a really good burger. I like Five Guys Burgers a lot. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you uh, coming by and answering questions with us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. I, I, I love this stuff. I really enjoy doing this because I know there's a lot of juniors in here too. So um, it's, if there's any, like, I, I, it's not something I get to do a lot. So I really appreciate you guys putting this together. I know the mods did a lot of stuff uh, to like set this up and do the bot thing for me because I'm an idiot and I don't know how. <laughs> stuff like that. So I really appreciate everybody that was involved and everybody for spending the time and asking the questions. Uh, this stuff's really fun for me. I, I enjoy it. Cool. Well, thanks. That's all we got. Yeah. All right. I hope you enjoyed that. I had a really great time. I I get a lot out of that. It's very rewarding. Uh, I'm really grateful that they allow me to do that, um, that the the folks on the Discord server uh, value my opinion and and, uh, voice enough to to be able to do those things. And I always have a really great time and I love answering those questions. Uh, And it's cool, too, because I don't I, I just don't have the bandwidth to like be on the server a lot in the chat. I do it sometimes, but same thing with Reddit. Like I try to get on there and answer comments or like comment on things or be involved in conversations. It's really difficult to do that. So I like to do the Q and A's um, just cause I can devote a bunch of bandwidth at one time to answering a lot of questions. And then I, I, I have to put my attention elsewhere a lot of the time. So it's just difficult to, to be involved in everything all the time. Um, but this gives me the opportunity to have access to these, these juniors and, you know, provide the, the, uh, whatever I can and, and help however I can. Uh, it's cool. The, the one guy that had the, the chiefs package question, and it looks like, uh, he responded in like the chat as we are recording where I think he's going to send me his stuff to review. So I'm, you know, always open to doing that. I mean, I can't 
do a hundred a week, but like if you have a chief's package or letter to the board question or want me to review your record, I'm happy to set up like a, a time and date to do that. Uh, and then I will have an episode on reviewing your package coming up soon with the, the gentleman. <laughs> That's probably, <laughs> he'll laugh what I call it. That'll be a stretch, but the young man that, uh, I recorded 88 with, which will come out next week and you guys will hear all that, but we're planning on doing an episode where I review his record live essentially. So it'll kind of be training on how to do that, uh, effectively on your own to make sure that, you know, all that stuff's good to go. Uh, like I said at the beginning, if you want to support us, don't give up the ship. Apparel is live. Uh, go follow us at D gets apparel. You'll get all the latest information. I'm like, we got a bunch of stickers going up. I'm about to put some more stickers in the store tonight. Uh, and then new, a whole, whole line of new shirts came out recently, uh, enlisted deviant stuff. Like, uh, there's a blue Falcon shirt, a skater shirt. I, th- I think junior sales are really like those. I think I might be out of touch, but I think, I think you'll enjoy those. We got the stickers coming for those designs as well. A lot of cool stuff in the pipe. Uh, I'm really excited about. And then, uh, if you if you would be so kind, <laughs> so you can support us in that way. That's like the for profit version that's going to fund the expansion of the platform as I transition into retirement. And then, if you just want to support uh, the podcast itself, help and pay the bills, there's a donate button on the website. All that goes just simply to subscription fees for the website and the RSS feed and the all the professional accounts that I have for certain things in order to record the podcast with guests or myself and then to put it out there for everybody. Um, would really appreciate any support that you can give. And then in the future, there'll be more stuff like a Patreon and a YouTube thing. And that's all down the line though, when I retire. So really appreciate it. If you need anything from us, as always hit us up, don't go out the ship podcast at gmail.com. You can Facebook message us. Don't go out the ship podcast, or you can DM us on Instagram, Reddit, or discord at DGS podcast. Uh, that's where you will find me. I'm all over the place and you can reach me very easily. If you got questions, comments, concerns, want to provide feedback, want to set up a time for me to review your sheets package whatever. I'm happy to help in any way I can. And that's it. That's what I got for you today. Thank you so much for listening and don't give up the ship.